Are you a busy Ruby developer who wants to take their freelance business to the next level? Interested in working smarter, not harder? Then check out the upcoming book, Next Level Freelancing, Developer Edition. Practical steps to work less, travel more, and make more money. It includes interviews and case studies with successful freelancers who have made a killing by expanding their consultancy, developed passive income through informational products, built successful SaaS products, and become rockstar consultants making a minimum of $200 an hour. There are all kinds of practical steps on getting started, and if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off when it's released. You can find it at nextlevelfreelancing.com. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 39 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. This week, we're going to be talking about what should be on my website. And this was kind of my idea as far as, you know, something that I wanted to do, um, mainly because I've been playing with the idea of putting together a website for my for my freelancing business. It's kind of shocking, I think, to think that I've been doing this for two and a half years and still don't have a really functional website for my business. But at the same time, I mean, I have some ideas for, of things that I think should be on there. And I know Eric's been doing this for a while and has a website that does bring him business. So I thought we could just jump in and, and talk about some of the things that we think should be there, some of the things that people put on there that maybe they oughtn't put on there or, you know, maybe don't give them as, as much of a, a a win as they think it gives them. So Eric, I, I'm a little curious b- before we start talking about what's on the website, is your website built on like WordPress or anything, or is it something you built on Rails? Yeah. So right now it's using WordPress. Let's see. I started with a static site, built a custom Ruby or actually Rails CMS, scrapped it because I'd rather work on client projects or paid projects than to maintain my own CMS system. And I jumped around to just different static site generators, but I ended up going back to WordPress just because it worked, it was functional, and I could get basically all the features I needed without actually having to dip down and write code and maintain all the code for it. So yeah, right now it's it's running on WordPress and I got a custom VPS built for it. So it's all of my sites are actually hosted on a private server. It's not like a shared host or anything. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I started with WordPress and I've toyed with the idea of using a static website generator like uh, Jekyll or something. And uh, I don't know. I, I think I'm probably just going to wind up going back to WordPress and paying somebody to skin it. Yeah. And I mean, it, I, it all depends on what your goals are. Like, Oh, I got started. I had a basic design that I made myself. And then I ended up paying a designer to make just kind of a template for me, just static HTML that I converted into, uh, it was actually my rail site back then. And I basically just taken that design and piggybacked it onto every other site I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I, I actually did it. I used an existing WordPress theme, added my design onto that theme. Didn't take that much work, but basically it lets me keep the way my site looks and it's pretty consistent, but. I've been able to kind of switch the systems underneath it. Yeah, that makes sense. So what what kinds of things are the most important for you on your website? Well, it's kind of hard because actually, like you, you don't have a very, very much on your site. I think I've seen it before. Like it's just, you know, kind of a placeholder site. And I actually know quite a few freelancers that that's all they have. Like it's might be, this is my business. This is my name. Here's how to contact me. Yeah. And from what I understand, like that works pretty well and you can stay busy with that. So most of these, like, I guess you don't really need anything other than a website with contact information. But I found like there's 
you know, you add a couple of things to it and you can actually get a pretty good, you know, return of the time you put into it. Right. Um, so, so we're talking about, last week we talked about optimizing your sales pipeline. And I guess this is the piece where, you know, toward the bottom of your pipeline, they're coming to your website. And so you're trying to increase conversions on your website is what we're talking about. Right. And for me, like, it's, it's been talked about before. Like, if you're reading a magazine, you come across a web page. Typically, for you to go to that web page, you have to get on your computer, get out your phone or whatever. It's basically a mode switch. And it's the same thing if you're watching TV and you have to call someone. So for me, on my website, if I just had just my phone number there that, or even just an email address, it's a mode switch. Like someone would have to pick up the phone or open their email client to send me an email. And it's not that hard, but I didn't want any kind of barrier for potential clients to get a hold of me. And so what I do is I have a contact page, which has my email address. It has my phone number if they want it, but it also has a form that lets them basically compose an email and send it to me. I don't know exactly how many because I've changed it, but I'm, I think the stats for it, I think I have had like a little over 300 different emails sent to me through that. Some of them are, you know, potential leads. Some of them turned into clients. Some are just, you know, Hey, I talked to you at a conference. I just wanted to catch up. I couldn't find your email, whatever. But the fact that it's just a web form makes it really, really easy for people to fill it out and just send me an email and start that contact. Yeah. I really like the idea of, uh, you know, people being able to just be there and, and contact you. Are you using a particular service for that? Or is that something that you, built in there or is there a plugin for WordPress or how do you approach that? Yeah, I know there's plugins for WordPress and I know a lot of people use those. I'm actually just using Wufoo. Um, basically you, it's a software as a service. You basically like a WYSIWYG form editor. And what I do is I have Wufoo so that it basically, when it's submitted, it emails me. Um, I had it, I used to actually have it SMS me. So I get a text message when someone did that, but I just turned it off because I was paying for it and didn't really need it because I have the email on my phone anyways. But I used them, I used them mostly when I was doing a static site because I didn't want to have to deal with any kind of backend stuff. And then I kept it around when I did the rail site and then back on WordPress. I just didn't feel like trying to set up email on my WordPress server and trying out the WordPress plugins because I've heard of some plugins that will eat emails and you know, if it's a potential client email, that could be a couple thousand dollar email that you lost. And so I stuck with Wufoo. They've been great. They have tons of other features, but I'm just basically using them as a simple contact form. Yeah. And like I said, I really like the idea. That's something that I need to add into my site because, yeah, basically it's just a little. In fact, I don't even know what's there because I haven't looked at it forever. But uh... yeah, I don't have it anymore, but I used to have it where um There'd be like a drop down of like, what's, what are you talk, talking to me about? Like, is it, you have a potential project? Is it an open source question? Um, and then I also had like, uh, you know, different types of services I'd offer because I'd have broken out a lot more back then. And so someone would select that and they'd basically be telling me what budget range they're looking in. And I could basically look at the subject line of the email and decide like, okay, this is someone who just has an open source question. I can hold off on answering this. Versus this is someone with a six-figure project. I'm going to answer that right now type thing. And so it kind of let me filter out things a little bit faster in email too. Yeah, I like that. I really like it. So what what other things do you have on your website that kind of drive people to want to contact you? I mean, it, it's WordPress. So are you writing blog posts? or? I tried that for a little while. The big problem is, is my blog on the admin.org I've had for, God, nine, 10 years. I don't know. I've had it for a long time and been writing over there. 
And then I started my business after I already had a significant amount on my blog. And so I tried to do, you know, have a blog on each and I just never wrote to the business blog. And I ended up just kind of getting rid of all the blogging stuff on my business website and basically just point people over to the admin.org and have them go there for my blog stuff. And so my business site is basically the homepage, the contact page, a couple pages about me and the kind of work that I'll do. And then I guess the, right now, the biggest part of my site would be my portfolio, where it's just past projects I've done, open source code I've done, that sort of thing. And even that's like old and I haven't really been able to update it for a couple of years. Okay. So that that's another question that I wanted to get into, because I mean, a lot of the projects I've worked on are under NDA and I can't really, you know, I can't really attack them that way. I can't put them up on a portfolio. So, I mean, have you found the portfolio to really be that critical? I haven't really had a problem finding work without one, but. I really don't know. I haven't measured it. I know my portfolio because I put a lot of details into each project. I can, I know I'm getting some traffic just SEO wise of people searching for really specific stuff, finding a portfolio item that talks about that and then them going to other parts of my site and maybe contacting me. But I haven't actually had any clients or potential clients really refer back to my portfolio. I'm kind of thinking it might just be more of like, this is proof that I can do what I'm saying I'm doing versus, you know, just a single page that's like, contact me for rail stuff. So it might be kind of the underlying trust building that no one really actually thinks about, but they just, it's there for them, kind of gets them to that next step of contacting me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've thought about, I, I don't know, I mean, I, I keep thinking about putting landing pages up, and it'd be nice to have, hey, you know, here's some of the projects that I've worked on, you know, maybe have it cycle through or something, um, you know, just kind of in a little widget down in the corner or something, but I don't know, I just don't know if people really care unless it's something that is exactly, you know, relevant to what they're doing. Right, and I've kind of talked about this before, it's like, for when we win a project, like it's typically a significant amount of revenue. Most of the time it's over a couple of months. So we really don't need a high volume of clients. And so, you know, you could do landing pages. You could do a lot of the more like e-commerce type stuff, but still, you, I mean, we're not selling $20 widgets. So it's going to be really hard to measure and it's going to be really hard to track. And so like I'm, like I said, my site's mostly just focused on you know, the trust building, like, you know, this is who I am. This is what I do. Here's proof about it. If you'd like to work with me or to even just talk to me, contact me and we can talk, you know, basically not trying to do a hard sell, not trying to get someone to commit to paying money on the site, but just to start a conversation. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. How about testimonials? Do you have testimonials on your website? I should. I have a bunch of testimonials. I just haven't put them on there. Uh, one thing actually I recently did this is basically broke out like client services, like that's basically my custom development and all that stuff. But on there, I actually went and got all of the, you know, client logos and stuff like that, that I'm authorized to use and basically put it on there so they could see, you know, who have I worked with before. And, you know, if it's someone in their industry or someone they heard of, you know, kind of more, like I said, the trust building, but testimonials. Yeah. I just, I haven't found a good place to put them. I, don't, I might have one, maybe two on here somewhere, but it's just the kind of like, where should I put it? And, you know, where's the best spot for it? And it's also the fact that I started to kind of update my site this year and got really busy with client work. So it went on the back burner. Yep. So another thing that I'm, I'm wondering about, and I just pulled up your website and I saw that you have a sign up form for a mailing list. 
yeah, yeah, that's something I push kind of hard, actually, now that I think about it. Now, does does that, I mean, we're talking about sales, sales cycle, sales, um, marketing funnel kind of thing, and this get, kind of gets people in where you can uh, reach them routinely, and we talked about this last week. Is is that kind of the biggest deal for you because it's kind of front and center on the site when you bring it up? Oh, so actually I have, I, I'm like I said, I don't look at my site that often, so I forget. Yeah, there's a thing when you first load it, it's kind of asking you to sign up for the news, the my newsletter. Once you click through that, you get to the rest of the site. But yeah, I'm kind of pushing the newsletter a bit more just because, like I said a minute ago, I don't have, need a high volume of clients. And so... I might, there might be a client that comes to me that's a perfect fit, but I'm actually booked working on someone else's project. And so I can't actually help that new client. And so if they can wait, if I can get them on the newsletter, then when I'm free, I'm probably tell the newsletter, Hey, I'm open. And that potential lead might still be able to, you know, get me into their project. And so it's kind of, I'm using kind of the newsletter as both the trust building stuff we talked about last week, but also the, here's a list of clients that I can kind of contact and say, Hey, I'm available, you know, does anyone need work type thing? So it's like a, like a waiting list almost in a way. Mm-hmm. And there's a video above it. Is that just an introduction to the, to the mailing list or is that something else? Uh, I don't remember. I think it's just me introducing myself, just, you know, what I do, all this and that. Like I said, like it, that, that whole introduction thing and the, actually my actual homepage is kind of new work in progress stuff that I had the shelf. If you actually, I'm clicking on my site now. If you look, there's a bunch of, bunch of pages with a little yellow box saying I'm redesigning. Feel free to contact me if you're looking for something and don't see it because the page is still in progress. You know, I, I want to get that little construction worker who's like, you know, the animated GIF that's like digging in the ground under construction, but I couldn't find that. GeoCities going down kind of makes it hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So um, let's see. I'm trying to think of what else people put on their landing pages. Well, one thing, because I did kind of a rough survey of other like Rails companies, sites, like, you know, the higher, like, you know, five, 10 developer size companies. And with maybe a couple exceptions, one thing I noticed, they all, all of them, their homepage is really cluttered. It's very Amazon.com-y of like, do you want to buy this? Do you want to buy this? Click here, click there, do this, do that. And I mean, everything I've seen and learned from conversion optimization says like, that's, that's a bad thing to do. I mean, a new new person's going to come to your site and not know what to do. And if they get confused enough, they will just leave. And so my homepage is still pretty, it's not as bad as some of them I saw. It's still pretty like, go here, go here, go here. But I'm actually working on slimming it down and making my homepage about like, this is the single action you need to take. And if you don't want to take that or you're not a good fit for me or whatever, you know, go to these other pages or whatever. And so basically it's a very simple choice for the user. And so they don't feel confused right away and I'll slowly introduce them to myself and the projects I do and how I can help them. But that's kind of a thing is like, don't go overboard, especially on the homepage, try to keep it simple and, you know, think about what's the, just the very next step that the person needs to do when they come to your site. Yeah. I really like that. So, so essentially what you're saying is you build up a series of pages and, uh, you know, it's kind of a guided tour of here's, here's what I offer and, and here's why you should trust me to do the job. And, and then it's focused on here's the next step. Exactly. I mean, if you look at my homepage now, I mean, ignore the slider at the top of all of my actual products, but I basically say like, what do I do? And I mean, bullet point form of, bullet point form of what I do. 
And then it's basically two boxes of, you know, learn about the client services. You know, that's if someone's like, yeah, I want to work with you. Let me, let's see how you can help me. Uh, the other option is to see my previous work, which is where they might be like, I don't know if I trust this Eric guy enough. Let me, let me see if he can actually do what he says he does. And so mm-hmm. that takes to my portfolio when, you know, would kind of walk them through stuff in there. And so, I mean, don't be afraid to kind of have small pages and, you know, a bunch of them. It's it basically, I mean, think about it in any kind of application. You're going to have workflows. You're going to have people landing at different pages and you want to guide them to whatever they need for their goal. Yeah, that makes sense. What about social media stuff? I mean, do you just kind of put standard links in a standard place or is that part of the sales funnel? You come to the website and then you follow me on Twitter or? Yeah, I don't know. Like it's social stuff's kind of weird and it changes from week to week. Like it looks like I, I have a little thing saying, follow me on Twitter and I might have, yeah, I have something for GitHub and Facebook and then Google plus on my kind of top bar, but I don't really push it. Like if I think when it's at a page where it talks about me, I might include some of that stuff if people want to get a more in depth about, you know, the person behind little stream software, but I don't push the social that much. I mean, it's like I said, it's the, the amount of time it takes to really learn and do it well, I think wouldn't have a good return just based on the volume of stuff that I'd need. Okay. One other thing that I'm, I'm wondering about, and this is something that I've kind of fought off and on with my website is that, I kind of want a, a cool little logo, you know. I don't know what it would be. I have some ideas, but nothing really super concrete. Where where do you go to get a a good logo, or do you just kind of did you just draw yours yourself, or did you have somebody put it together for you, or what? <laughs> yeah, if I drew it myself, you'd laugh at it. No, it's that's something I did when I got started. I thought I needed a logo and needed stationery, all that stuff, and I ended up paying that. Don't think they're around anymore. Uh, it was called Logo Works. Uh, I think HP bought them and then HP closed them after a couple of years. But I had, I paid a couple, maybe several hundred, had them do a logo for me. And basically they just ripped off the entire thing. I said, this is kind of, this is my company name. This is what I, what I stand for. This is kind of how I want it to look and feel. And they just went at it. And this is one of the choices that they came back with. And, you know, basic normal design iteration back and forth a couple of times. And, finally got this and basically if you can see like i have blues and greens as my logo and kind of a kind of a smooth font well i've taken that idea to the designer who did the rest of my site and she used those colors and that kind of look and feel and just been copying that around but realistically you don't need a logo i mean if you're just operating under your own name or whatever or you know you just have kind of a really small like shell company so you're not really pushing the company brand you're more pushing your personal brand like i guess kind of like how evan is evan's very much you're working with evan not his actual company um you don't need a logo you can just you know type out your company name maybe pick a nice font for you know photoshop a little image file instead of text and just get on do something more important because most people aren't going to care yeah that makes sense I'm, i'm trying to think of what other things we should talk about I'm a little curious about why you decided to go with WordPress over, you know, the static site generators or the, you know, custom. I, I understand the custom Rails thing just because you, you have to maintain code. But a static site generator seems like a, a pretty straightforward way to go, too. Well, that's what I thought at first. But every static site generator I tried had limitations. I mean, first part, you're generating static text. So you can't have anything dynamic on your site. Unless either you have some kind of backend component 
which then defeats the whole purpose of a static site generator. Mm -hmm. uh, you use JavaScript, which is nice, but you're, you know, if you're trying to do SEO stuff or if you don't know JavaScript, you know, that's just another chunk of code to maintain. And I mean, it's like, those are the kind of the only two choices you have to do dynamic stuff. And I, when I first did it, I was like, okay, I actually want to have a blog on my site. And so get doing the blog kind of thing of a static site generator, it was just a pain. Like, you know, even just a basic RSS feed was like, oh, I got to, you know, dump all this XML and make sure that each time I publish the static site generator, it doesn't, you know, recalculate anything and, you know, spam the RSS feed. And so I kept looking at what I really want to do and decided like, look, WordPress is really the best publishing platform for the web for what I need. And the fact that it's a large community, I can pick plugins that are used by hundreds of thousands of people. You know, I kind of could trust that, okay, this is going to work for me. And it also helped that in my past life, I was a PHP developer and I have written uh, maybe half a dozen WordPress plugins. So if I really had to go fix code or write something custom, I could. But I haven't, luckily. I mean, other than my theme, you know, I'm just using stock plugins, nothing fancy. Nice. L let's talk through your site a little bit. So when somebody comes to your site, what, what's kind of the first thing you want them to do? Okay, so um, first they'll probably see the welcome gate, which is something I got from, um, what's the company name? I think it's Leadbright. Basically, it's uh, a quick thing about a little bit of text about what LittleStream software is. Um, I have another plugin that lets me put a video in and basically has, I think it has a client logos and says, you know, sign up for my newsletter if you want to hear more about X. And so first thing, every per person that hits the homepage sees that. And so that's kind of to, you know, get people to subscribe right away. And it's set up so that people will only see it once. And if you actually are deep link, like say someone links to like a blog post or something on the site, um, they won't see that. It's only on the homepage. So someone, I'm, ideally they'd opt in for that like right away, but I can see some people might not. And so they kind of click through to the actual homepage. And I, like I said, right now I have a little kind of animated spinner of my different products that I have, like actual eBooks and stuff. That's going away because I'm trying to focus my site to be more client services instead of products too. Um, and that goes back to what I said about the single focus on your homepage. And so my homepage is kind of, like I said, what I do, how I can help and kind of the next step would be either to learn more about my client services and maybe book me or to look at my portfolio. And the ideal case on my website, like where I want everyone to go is to contact me. And so I push that. I think I say that on my client services, but let me check. But I've really tried to reinforce how easy I am to get a hold of. And I have like the contact form link on the top of every page and also at the bottom of every page. And the rest of the site is basically centered around building up enough trust to get someone to contact me. Right. Um, just so people know, w when we're talking about Eric's website, we're talking about littlestreamsoftware.com. So, Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. If you go to the admin.org, that's my blog. It's mostly technical blog right now. And that's a completely different beast of what I do there. That's more of just me ranting and writing. Yeah, but if you want to go to my website, it's awful right now. It's intentionalexcellence.net, and it is very not put together well because <laughs> I, <laughs> I kind of started it and then just left it alone. But that's something that I'm working on, and then um, I'm going to be working on driving more traffic to it once I get devchat.tv up and running. So, so that's something that I'm pushing at. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about was as far as the pipeline goes, um, do you have a separate pipeline for your products, like your eBooks, or 
do you kind of drive everybody to the same place and then they could kind of opt to go one way or the other? Yeah, I was actually going to talk about that because my I, how I'm doing some of my products is kind of bad. I think ideally my products, so I have a book on refactoring Ruby code. I have a book on like Redmine stuff for kind of users. And then I have a book on writing eBooks, which is kind of meta, but whatever. All of those are kind of a different niche industry than my actual main business website. And I, I guess also I have Chirp, which is a completely separate niche than people would go to my website. So the problem is, is before I kind of had all my products show up on my, my little stream software site. And if you go to the homepage, that's what that slider is I keep talking about. And so it was really, it was kind of a muddled message. I mean, it was like, hire me for Rails development or learn about writing ebooks. And that's not really consistent. And so if you have products and they're the same thing as what you do, by all means, put them on your main site, talk about them there. You know, even if you make a, a real larger site for them separately, you know, make sure to talk about them on your business site. But if you have products that are separate, then don't, don't mix them. Don't put it on the same site. For the most part, because my products are separate, each of them has their own separate site that I send people to. Um, I get a little traffic that of people that go to LittleStream software and they click through to those sites, but I think most of that's just they're exploring to see what I've already done more than actual like potential customers for those products. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of like that where it, it makes sense to have sort of a different funnel, especially where yours are so varied. I mean, um, you've got something for people that want to use Redmine. You've got another one for people who want to learn how to refactor Ruby on Rails. And so those are different markets. You know, Chirk is its own thing. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense to split it up and then just keep a consistent message on the one site that's, you know, kind of uh, directed toward that, that one thing. Have you set up any any landing pages? For example, a landing page for Ruby on Rails development? Or do you just kind of expect people to come in the front door on littlestreamsoftware.com. Let me look real quick and see. Okay, so I, I in the past, I thought about doing landing pages like that, and actually I broke out my services to be a lot more like that. Um, I've consolidated a lot of stuff and got rid of them, I think just because I wasn't actually maintaining the landing pages and they kind of got outdated a little bit. So right now I have a few landing pages, but they're mostly around, like if I do like a webinar or event, they're centered around, you know, the signing up for the webinar and then like the thank you page and then you know, if there's a recording, the recording of the webinar. So no, I would say I'm not using landing pages that much except for like webinar type stuff. And even that, that's very little. Hmm. Is I there... mean, if it's a good idea. If you can do landing pages and keep them up and you have a real clear purpose to them, they're great. I mean, landing pages are just mini home pages that you can create for free, but I, I just, I haven't used them and it could just be, you know, volume or, you know, I just don't think I have the time to really sit down and create one. Yeah. Um, what kinds of things do you put on a landing page that don't go into your main site? Well, I talked earlier about like with the homepage, you want it to be pretty single focused, but you'll have kind of, you know, some links at the footer, you know, maybe one or two different calls to action. With a landing page, you want headline, sub headline, maybe a bit of text about what it is on that page, and then your call to action. That's it. You know, so it could be, you know, sign up for the newsletter to write to learn about Ruby on Rails refactoring tips. And then you'll, in this newsletter, you'll learn about X, Y, and Z. And then the newsletter sign up link. And that's it. Like you don't have who wrote it. You don't have a link back to your homepage or your blog or your latest Twitter feed. It's landing pages are supposed to be very bare bones and give people the minimum amount of information they need to take the action you want them to do. Yeah. That makes sense. So it, 
I'm wondering because some some of the landing pages I've seen kind of seem to be the whole the whole pitch that you get through the whole pipeline at the same time, and so the the call to action is literally hire me. Um, and I've seen other ones where you know it's it's a landing page and the pitch is sign up for the newsletter. You know, so it's take the next step. Do you think one is more effective than the other, or does it just depend on where people are at? Um, I'd say both. I mean, it's going to depend on who you're targeting. You know, like what kind of industry it's going to depend on how well your landing page is designed overall. And it's also going to depend on like what your funnel looks like. I mean, if you have a simple funnel and it's basically someone should contact me and we should be talking about getting hired the next step, then maybe that kind of harder sell of, you know, click here to contact me to book a project is the kind of landing page you want. Whereas if you kind of have a longer cycle, like say, say you have an ebook product and then maybe a training you know, training course or whatever. And then maybe, you know, then at that point you kind of have like the larger custom development stuff. You might want to actually pitch more of a newsletter, a soft sell approach and get them on the newsletter and then slowly work, have them work their way through, you know, all three of your different products. And also the other thing is, I mean, this is the kind of thing like you have to test and, you know, it could be that doing a hard sell and asking for someone to buy your high end product is actually the better thing for you business wise, you know, and, and that's, that's the problem I run into. I don't have enough volume to really test this stuff and to know what would work for me or even the market I'm in. If you wanted to test, are there A-B testing plugins for WordPress? I know that um, there are plenty I've, for Rails and stuff. but Yeah, I bet there are. I mean, the one I use, I don't... It's okay. It's it's decent. I got a good deal on it. It's Optimizely. Um, don't even try to like search for it. It's going to be really hard to get spelled right. Um, I think it's a Y Combinator startup, but basically it's A-B testing. You got to, what you see is what you, what you see is what you get GUI in their site. And you end up just getting a little JavaScript snippet you put on your page. And so I have that across, I think, almost all my sites. And so when I do an A-B test, I just go into their site, click some stuff around. Um, I think they use jQuery, so you can use kind of jQuery stuff to do a little bit more advanced changes and just run a test that way. Uh, you can also use, I don't know if Google still has theirs. Google's done some weird stuff with theirs, but there's another one. Um, can't remember the name of it, but it's something I was thinking about buying because it did A-B testing, heat maps, uh, click tracking, a whole bunch of stuff. And it, realistically, I don't think you really need a plugin or to do something custom. You could just get something off the shelf. And for most consultants, so, you know, you're going to be on the low volume tier no matter what. So it's not going to cost all that much. Right. Do you look much at analytics? Um, I do too much analytics and that's just because I like numbers. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, in our audience are probably going to be in the same camp as me, but yeah, I, I look at analytics. I try not to drill down anymore because you just, it's a, it's a rabbit hole. You get stuck and trying to figure out. And I look at the amount of visitors kind of over whatever time period I'm looking at. And I might glance to see if there's any kind of spikes. And if there's like a big spike, I will see where that spike came from. If it was like hacker news or, you know, a popular blog link to me. But other than that, no, I, I, I'll get my numbers and kind of try to get out of the analytics system and then just put that into my own metrics I track. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just trying to think of anything else that uh, we have or haven't covered. Um, one thing I didn't see on your, uh, on your page was an about page. Uh, yeah, it's, it's there at the bottom. It's not that good of one, but yeah, like, if you click to a second page, you'll see it at the top, like my homepage, because I tried to slim it down. I hid the main navigation on purpose. So you can only get to it from the bottom. And then once you get into an interior page, the about page is there. And it's, 
looking at it, it's almost a pretty, basically a rehash of the homepage. It's not really anything new except for like some personal details about me and where to find me. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah. Are, are and realistically, I was going to say like your about page doesn't have to be that complex. Like talk about, you know, if there's a background to your company, talk about that, you know, talk about yourself and the big thing. I mean, across your site is think about what a potential client wants. Like, don't think about like, I do rails. I can help you do this. I, 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 you know, think about what the person coming wants. Like, you know, do you need business automation? Do you need to have your team be more efficient or more effective in developing software? You know, target it that way. Talk to whatever problems your client might or potentially might have. You know, it's, it's standard copywriting advice. Hmm. I, I like that approach. Your website, your project, your team, you, your business. That's what people care about. Yeah. And actually, this is something that you didn't mention, but a lot of people worry about is if you look at a lot of corporate websites, it's like, we are the best deleter in whatever X, Y, Z, and we do this and we do that. And a lot of freelancers, when it's just one person saying we is kind of awkward. And I know some people get away with it, but if it's just you, and if you're trying to show that, you know, you're a small company and that you're very agile because of that, use I, like, if you look at my site, when I'm talking about me and stuff, I'm saying I, like if I say we, that's actually a mistake. I should fix it. And it's because I don't want to make my image appear that I'm a bigger company than I am. Because part of it is like, if someone's talking to me, they can talk to me. I'm the decision maker. I don't have to bump it up to a PM to ask if we can do something else. I can make a decision on the fly. And so that's something to think about. If you're wanting to be kind of a small business freelancer and really focus on you know, the personal touch, use I on your website. If you want to be kind of the big business agency style, use we, but back it up. I mean, if you're, if you're just a single person in your garage working on stuff and you're using we, I mean, I think it's kind of fake at some point. So just be, be careful of that and think about what the person's actually reading it, what they're thinking, what they're going to feel. Yeah. makes sense. So are there any aspects of this that we haven't really talked about? I guess we didn't go into SEO. Do you, do you play much with SEO or do you just, are you, are you more reliant on like word of mouth? Uh, so my business website, I'm not that big on SEO. I don't do that much. I have, you know, I've spent some time up front to get a good title tags and, you know, make sure stuff isn't bad for me, but I don't really do much with it. I just kind of, I link to it if it's appropriate. If I don't, you know, if I don't link to it, it's not a big deal. I have it in my email subject or not subject line. That'd be funny. I have it in my email signature line. Um, I don't know if anyone actually ever clicks it, but it's there and I don't really do any promotion. And like I said, because I don't have a blog on this, there's really not much new content or reason for me to share links on this site with people. And so it's very, because that has a very low SEO impact, very low footprint. My blog on the other hand is a completely different beast. And that's, I do a bit of SEO work on there just because it's such a larger thing and it's a, you know, higher volume site. Now, does your blog reference this website? So maybe in the footer of the post or whatever it says, this was written by Eric and he's awesome. So go over to littlestreamsoftware.com and hire him. Um, kind of. So on my company website, basically my main nav has a blog link and that just goes directly over to my blog. My blog has in its main nav and the design's almost identical. So some people don't even notice they switch sites. But on my blog, I have a hire me and a contact me. Hire me goes to my main homepage on my main site. Contact me goes back to that contact form I talked about. And so that's where 
you know, the blog with the higher volume, I try to send people over to my site directly where I want them to be. Um, I'm pretty sure in the footer or whatever, I have something about, yeah, I talk about, you know, I, I run little stream software and this and that, but I don't really talk about it that much inside of a post unless it's actually on context. Like if I'm talking about something I'm doing while I'm working in my business, but the fact that my designs are almost identical. Um, I know a lot of people kind of get confused and like, I've had someone say, wow, I, I'm on your, your main site. I like this blog post. And then I look at the URL and they actually jumped over to the blog and didn't realize it. So I, I wouldn't recommend that if you don't have either a blog or a site, just put your blog on your main site. Don't split it across domains, but you know, I'm not going to go back and try to fix it. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Well, um, I don't know if I have any more questions. Do you, or are there any other aspects of this that you want to cover that you think would help people? So one thing I would say, I did this for a little bit. I was trying to put every project I could on my portfolio. And unfortunately for me, because a lot of my stuff is open source, I can talk about a lot of my projects, at least from the code standpoint and like the tools use. And so I ended up, I started on a project to put, I think all hundred open source plugins I had into my site. And as you can imagine, that's basically creating a hundred pages, you know, what, 300 to 500 paragraphs of content, you know, hundred to 300 screenshots and completely overwhelm myself. And so um, I'm hoping eventually to get some time to go back through and just pick out like, you know, the top 10 projects I have and just have that as my portfolio and then have a, you know, a comment of, you know, you know, 99 more, you know, portfolio items available upon request. But yeah, don't go overboard on your portfolio. I mean, put your best stuff up front. And then if you have stuff that's kind of your mid-level, not the greatest work, but just to show you have a high volume of stuff, you can kind of just say, I have 65 other projects that you can talk to me about over email and throw in that contact link. And that, you know, that might be all you need to get a conversation started. Yeah. That, that it's kind of like the front page of your blog. You know, you don't put a list of all of the blog posts you've ever written. You know, you can put the most popular ones in the sidebar and people go click those. But, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't need the, you know, the full cat catalog. If somebody wants the full, full catalog, they'll go look for it. And otherwise, then you're just, you know, you're fine. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't want to overwhelm someone. And so it's, I don't remember the term for it, but it's, you're basically revealing little bits of information over time and, you know, trickling that out slowly so they can kind of absorb each piece of information before the next one comes. And like, like I, I just, I screwed up on that, you know, having a hundred different portfolio items, they can't tell what the good ones are and they're just not going to look at my portfolio now. Yeah. Well, they're going to see a big long list. They'll scan it for anything that looks interesting, but yeah, you, you kind of want to guide them to the ones that are the, the kind of shine. So, uh, anything else that we should go over or should we just wrap the show up? No, I mean, I think that's good. I mean, I would say start simple. You know, if you can get a basic site up, some contact information, I mean, if you can get contact information, a contact form up that will send you an email, maybe a testimonial or two, and maybe like a short description of, like what services you can provide for a client. Like, I think that's kind of a pretty good start. Like that'll put you head and tails above a lot of other people, you know? And then at that point, it's like, you've got to build out a full site. If you want to go to the next level and you might not need to, like, I think I prematurely optimized my site and I didn't need all these pages and all this content, but that's how I, that's what I did. And that's where I ended up at. Awesome. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and wrap this up then. Do you have any picks that you want to share? Sure. So I've been using this pick for, I guess, a couple months now. Uh, yeah, since October 21st. It's the Archon Portable Fold-Up Stand for the iPad. 
Um, I was going to pick it a while ago, but I want to actually test it out and use it. It's basically a piece of plastic stand that folds out. And I have my iPad on my desk and I use it as my media player. And so I have it right next to my speakers. And so it's standing up. I can see what's playing. I can pause it, do all that stuff right there. But the nice thing is it's plastic. So it actually folds up. It's, you know, about the size of like half my hand. And it's so lightweight that I actually took it when I traveled a little bit. So I can go, you know, if I go to a coffee shop or if I, you know, left the state and fly out somewhere, I can take this out and actually have my iPad at, at a level where I can type on an external keyboard and use it as a monitor. And it's really inexpensive. And I think it works with almost every tablet. It's just, you know, a piece of plastic, no mounting or anything. So I actually recommend that if someone has a tablet and they kind of are propping it up or they have a stand that's not very stable or they're kind of unsure about because, you know, four or $500 electronic on a something that could fall is really not a good combination. Yeah, sounds good. What Which version of the iPad do you have? I'm pretty sure it's the, ver- it's the second version or second generation, um, just Wi-Fi, 16 gig. You know, nothing fancy. Basically, I just needed a tablet to to do some web stuff. And then also, this is basically where I play games on. Instead of having like a Wii or an Xbox or any of that stuff, I got this. Cool. All right. Well, um, I kind of have an anti-pick because Dropbox freaked out on me. And it, I had to resync it. And it's catching up. It's going to be another day before it gets all caught up, which means that podcast episodes might be late and stuff, which makes me unhappy. The... The other thing that's making me crazy is the new iTunes. I hate it. So uh, let me pick something that I like. I'm kind of in a sour mood. My kid's been sick, and it's been no fun. I did get some cool stuff for my birthday and for Christmas, which is kind of funny because neither have happened yet this month. Um, my birthday's in about a week, and my um, and Christmas is in about two weeks. Anyway, our van died, and what happened was the the alternator went out, and the alternator, I, I don't know how how auto repair savvy you or the, the rest of our uh, audience is, but um, it has a voltage regulator in it um, that, that opens and closes depending on how much um, how much voltage it needs to push through to keep your battery charged. And that was faulty. So sometimes it would be fine and sometimes it wouldn't be fine. And uh, if, if it left it open for too long, then the battery would get run down. My wife almost didn't make it home. One day. So anyway, I had to replace it, and um, my wife went and got me for um, for my birthday. She got me a creeper, and it's just one of those things you lay on your back, and it has wheels on it, so you can slide in under the car. And uh, it's really low to the ground, which is nice because it gives you a little bit more clearance between you and the car. And it has these big honking wheels on it, which means that you know if you've got bolts or whatever laying around, you can still kind of roll over them. Um, I got, she got it from Harbor Freight and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, the other thing that I want to pick is something that I actually bought for myself for Christmas. And the story's kind of funny and we have a few minutes, so I'll go ahead and tell it. But, uh, my wife was bugging me about what, what I wanted for Christmas. What, what should she get me? And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. And so I started thumbing through the Black Friday ads and I came across the Sears ad and uh, started looking through it, and I was like, well, you get me some of this or some of this. You know, it was just different tools. And one of them was a hydraulic jack. Um, it's a quick-rise jack, so you, you don't have to pump it as many times to get your your car off the ground. And, oh, that, it, it's so nice um, to be able to just slide it under the car, jack the car up in a few minutes, and you're you're ready to go. So between the two, I was able to change the alternator out in about two hours. And a Dodge Grand Caravan is not terrible because it's just kind of right in the front there. But 
Um, anyway, I, I did manage to do that and it was, it was nice. I'm actually pretty proud of myself because that's the first auto repair, you know, outside of like changing the oil and stuff or changing brake pads that I've done on my own without my father-in-law or somebody else helping me out. So anyway, I was super excited about being able to get that done. So yeah, those are my picks, the, the hydraulic jack and the, the creeper. And I got them both at Harbor Freight and I believe you can order them online if you really want to. So I'll put links in the show notes, and then if you have one near you, then you can go get it. And if not, then you know you can order it if you want. Yeah, I'd expect shipping to be kind of killer on the jack, but yeah, I mean, I I used to do a lot of work on my car back in the day. One thing you might want to look into is you can get ramps, and so instead of having to jack your car up, you just drive your car up the ramps. You do that, and then block out the back, and that works really good for like oil changes or kind of quick stuff. You know, then you don't have to worry about the jack and putting jack stands on and all that stuff. And I actually had a Nova that. That's what we had to do because our jack, our, the car was so low and our jack was so high that we couldn't get the jack under the car without going through like the wheel well and kind of sneaking it in. Oh, and geez. so we got, we got ramps to get the car off the ground and then jacked it up to put on jack stands to get it higher. I've thought about doing that, getting the ramps. Um, I remember when I was a kid, that's what my dad did when he had to change the oil and what, whatever. So he just pull it onto the ramps, slide under, you know, you, you take the nut off of the, the oil pan. To, let it drain and then take the filter off and so yeah he didn't have to get under it put jack stands under it. he just pull it up on there and then pull it back off when he was done yep all right cool well i think we're done for this week so uh i'm looking forward to talking to you again next week eric yeah take care and uh we'll wrap this up we'll catch you all next week bye-bye